It's, uh, it's beautiful to just hear voices uh, singing out loud to the Lord. It, it's, for me, it's just encouraging. Amen. It's just encouraging to see how we, we sing in unison and uh, are focusing on the Lord as, as our King and we are surrendering all. And um, even as we hear his word, let us remember that this is part of worship that we worship him as we hear the word of God addressing our lives as to what his will is for our lives and how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians in light of what he has done for us in the gospel. We continue looking at Matthew chapter 5 um, uh, with these uh, Christ-like attitudes. Um, and this... Uh, um, week, we are looking at verse 4. But I'm, for the sake of context, I'm just going to read from verse 1 until verse 4. Uh, follow me as I read uh, from the ESV um, Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 4. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this is the word of God. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you have spoken in your word and we can come to you to hear what you have said to us. We pray that you give us hearts this morning that are humble to, to hear your word, to eagerly receive it, and to apply it in every area of our lives. We pray that your name will be glorified as we hear your word, and as your word is declared, be with me, O Lord, to declare it with clarity of speech and clarity of thought. We pray this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church say, Amen. amen. So we, we, we're looking at uh, uh, verse 4 today that says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And uh, we, we live in a time um, where the word sin has fallen out of the vocabulary of most Christians. When the word sin is, is raised, it is met mostly with frowns and, and, and strong disapproval. When a minister speaks even against sin, he is accused of being judgmental and aloof. Uh, you know, if, if a, min, a visiting uh, pastor in a typical evangelical church was to speak strongly against sin, he can be sure that that was his last invite. You know, we, we, we live in this kind of time where we don't want to hear at all about, about sin. And you, 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 you can see how this has also even affected our vocabulary. Um, sin has been given, given new names that uh, take away its seriousness. 
Uh, let me just give you two examples. Just two examples. I'm sure you can think about uh, other examples in your mind. Uh, instead of people saying, the sin of adultery, what do they say? They say, an affair. Or instead of saying, a drunkard, as the Bible says so, they say what? An alcoholic. So these things do what? They, 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 they lighten the seriousness of sin. The, 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 these vocabularies, these new vocabularies that we use to, to refer to sin, they lighten the weight of sin, the seriousness of sin. And, and as a result, we, we, we find people who profess to be Christians uh, being unable to address sin biblically. Or, or, or being comfortable in lifestyles that are, clearly con that are clearly contrary to the nature of God and the word of God. And so Jesus, in, in his address here to his disciples, deals with that issue. He addresses that issue. As he unpacks this Christ-like attitude by starting with that one of being poor in the spirit, he, he comes to the second, which has clear connections with the first. The, the, the logical sequence of the, the, the first Beatitudes with the second is that when one realizes their unworthiness, before God, when, when one sees that they are poor in the spirit, it leads to sorrow for sin. And so they mourn their condition before God. Let, let us double click on that. What Jesus is actually saying here is that a person who has truly, listen to this, a person who has truly encountered God, a person who has encountered God will, 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 will in, in, in light of who God is again, will see themselves according to the way God sees them. They will see themselves as unworthy before God. That uh, um, when they have encountered God, they start to be characterized by, by, by mourning before him. And, 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 and this is the condition that God considers blessed. And, and he considers it blessed because he meets it with what? With his comfort. Right? Now I want to say, even as we look at this passage that we see two things from this passage. First of all, we see what is meant by, by mourning. And secondly, we see the promise to those who mourn. Let, let us look at the first uh, point, the first thing. What is meant by mourning? See, the New Testament has nine Greek words uh, that describe mourning or, or sorrow. And out of all these uh, Greek words, um, the one that is used here is the strongest and, and the most intense um, um, word for, for mourning. And this is how John MacArthur explains it. He says this. He says, it represents the deepest, most heartfelt grief and was generally reserved for grieving over the death of a loved one. It, it is used in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is, is the Greek Old Testament. Uh, the translation of the Old Testament. It was used in the Septuagint for Jacob's grief when he thought his son Joseph was killed by a wild animal in Genesis uh, 37. 
It is used of the disciples mourning for Jesus before they knew he was raised from the dead in Mark chapter 16. And it is used, in the, uh, it is used of the mourning of world business leaders over the death of its commerce because of the destruction of the world system during the tribulation in Revelation 18. It should be noted um, as we, we, we listen to this that this mourning or, or sorrow it's not one that is concerned with the externals, right? It is not concerned with the externals. In as much as the first beatitude is concerned with being poor in the spirit and not being poor in the wallet, um, this morning is also concerned with the condition of the heart. It is the condition of the heart that is the concern. It is concerned about one who has encountered God and has come to an awareness of God's holiness and majesty. And, and, and with that, responds just as Isaiah did when he saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne. The Bible tells us about that, 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 uh, that scene in, in Isaiah chapter 6 um, where Isaiah sees the Lord in the temple. He sees the Lord high and lifted up on a throne. He, he sees even the seraphim above, uh, uh, above him calling out to one another before him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with glory. When Isaiah saw this awesome sight, he responded with trembling and sorrow for his sin. And Isaiah chapter 6 Verse 5, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, his encounter of God was an encounter of his own condition. And he could not help but cry out and mourn in the sight of God. When you see God, when you encounter God, you encounter who you truly are, your true condition. Now the question that we, we must ask is, how is this kind of mourning displayed in our lives? How is it displayed in, in each and every one of us? And I want to highlight four areas in, in which we can, we, can, uh, we can see it displayed. First, um, it is displayed in mourning over sin mourning over sin. Uh, this is the, 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 the result of the initial awakening of the Holy Spirit of the presence of sin and the corruption of the heart. Uh, the gospel message exposes the sinfulness of the heart and presents the consequences of sin. By the grace of God, as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the reality of God and our unworthiness before him, we begin to see sin in its true form. Before we hear the gospel, before we are Christians, we, we do not take sin seriously. But then, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, we start to see sin in its true colors. We start to see the, the, the true form of sin. I like how John Piper defines sin. He, he gives a powerful and, and piercing definition of sin by saying this. He says, sin is the glory of God not honored the holiness of god 
not reverenced. The greatness of God, not admired. The power of God, not praised. The truth of God, not sought. The wisdom of God, not esteemed. The beauty of God, not treasured. The goodness of God, not severed. The faithfulness of God, not trusted. The promises of God, not relied upon. The commandments of God, not obeyed. The justice of God, not respected. The wrath of God, not feared. The grace of God, not cherished. The presence of God, not prized. The person of God, not loved. And that is sin. You see, when we come to see sin for what it is, when we unmask it and, uh, and, and, and reveal its true colors, we begin to mourn over it, to truly mourn over our sin. Thomas Watson says that a true mourner labors to draw out sin in its bloody colors and accent it with all its killing aggravations that he may he may be deeply humbled before the Lord. There was an old man that I knew uh, 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 some time ago. He had a, a disease that had something to do with his lungs. I don't know what, what, what it was called. I, I, I don't remember what it was called. Um, whenever he, he had it, Whenever he, he would go through deep um, pains, uh, and you know, even this was the even though this was the case, he refused to go to the hospital. Whenever the idea of hospital was raised, he would adamantly refuse, though he was in pain. And finally, the disease that could have been prevented earlier took his life. Uh, this is the same as people who do not want to face their sin. They would rather continue in sin than fall before God in repentance. So they end up being destroyed by the sin they embraced. Thomas Watson continues to say, How easy it is for a man to put a cheat upon his own soul and by hypocrisy, to sweep himself into hell. We cheat our own souls when we do not come before God in repentance. You see, there is one thing that is worse than sin, and that is the denial of sin. This blinds you to your condition, and, and it gives it gives all the power to sin to destroy you while going unnoticed. You, 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 you are not noticing the sin, but it does not mean it is not there. It continues to destroy and kill you. I remember a while ago, I think it was um, 2013, I saw a video on, on YouTube of a of a man, he, he, he was in his last stages of, of cancer. And uh, he, he, I think he, he was taught this heresy of positive uh, confession. 
and uh, he's being interviewed live on television. And th th this guy is talking to him, and he's talking to him about his cancer. And this man is denying that he has cancer. He's, he's denying clearly there are signs that this man is, 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 is being eaten alive by this cancer. But he is denying it. He continues to deny it when, they, when even people are talking to him about it. And you know what happened? You, you can watch it on YouTube. He died live on television. Right there and then, he died. Not wanting to face the fact that he was sick with cancer. Same with people who are in denial of sin. Jesus says, it is those who are mourning who are blessed, who mourn about their sin. And not only that, but the second area in which this morning is displayed is mourning over remaining sin, right? The first is mourning over sin. Now, the second is mourning over remaining sin. When, when one becomes a Christian, in that moment, the Bible tells us they are justified, they are made right with God by faith in Christ, it means that we are freed from the bondage of sin. We are no longer under the control of sin. The Bible calls us the redeemed of God. We are those who are redeemed and reconciled to God. We are now children of God. But even though that is the case, the Bible tells us that there is still remaining sin. After being justified in the sight of God, as Christians we go through the process of, of sanctification where we are daily being made pure, daily being, 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 being transformed from one, one level of glory to another. And it is in this process that we become aware of the sin that remains. The more you grow in your knowledge of God, the more you draw near to him, is the more you see yourself the way you are is the more you become aware of the sin that remains. See, we do not see ourselves, as we said last week, in comparison to other people. We, 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 we should see ourselves in comparison to the greatness and the beauty and the holiness of God. Then we will see ourselves. It should be noted in, in Isaiah chapter 6 that when Isaiah saw the Lord, when he cried out, woe is me, for I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. It should be noted that he was a prophet. And, and humanly speaking, he was a holy man. He was not like any other man. It was required that Isaiah be a holy man. He could not enter the temple if he was not a holy man. But he cries when he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner before God. He sees himself for what he is. And he mourns his situation. He, he is in sorrow. He sees his heart. So we too must examine our hearts daily. We, we must be aware of the evil principles that are within Martin Lloyd-Jones offers uh, some wisdom here by saying this is what we, you must ask yourself um, as you take time for self-examination. He says this. You should ask yourself this. What is it in me that makes me behave like that? Why should I be ir irritable? 
Why should I be bad-tempered? Why am I not able to control myself? Why do I harbor that unkind, jealous, and envious thought? What is it in me? And when he discovers this war in his members, and he hates it and, and mourns because of it, it is quite inevitable. Now, this is not imagination. It is actual experience and true fact. It is a very thorough-going test. If I object to this kind of teaching, it just means that I do not mourn, and therefore I am not one of the people who our Lord says are blessed. Close quote. That is why Martin Luther says in his uh, 95 thesis, the first thesis that he, he writes is that the life of the believer must be one of perpetual repentance and contrition of heart. We do not repent once and that's it. But we repent daily in the sight of God. Think about the Apostle Paul for a minute. I think, and this is my opinion, you can uh, argue with me, I think Paul was the greatest was, was the greatest Christian to ever live. Think about it. He was a man who wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. He preached the gospel to kings and, and to slaves, to, to Jews and to Gentiles. He preached both in prison and in palaces. But we find him in Romans chapter 7 on his knees, drenched in tears, lamenting the sin that remains in him. Many people say that uh, Paul in Romans chapter 7 is not speaking about his present condition, but his condition before he was a Christian. But that is not a faithful interpretation of Scripture. That is not looking at Scripture faithfully. If you pay attention to the grammar of, of Romans chapter 7, you can see that Paul is speaking in the present tense. He's speaking about his condition in the present tense. He's not speaking about it as something that is past. He's speaking about something that is present, that is, that is happening at that moment. Look at verse, verse 15 of chapter 7, Romans. It says, For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. In verse 18 and verse 19, he says, for, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to do it. Not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do, I do not want, is what I keep doing. Paul laments the sinfulness of his heart. I want you to notice that when Paul wrote this letter, when Paul wrote these words, he was at the height of his ministry. But we do not find him, him, him patting himself in the back and saying, well done, you, 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 and congratulating himself as a, as a, as a, as a, as a spiritual giant. We, we do not find him like that. Rather, we find him on his knees weeping in the sight of God. I think it was Spurgeon who said, the more you grow in sanctification is the more you realize how much of a sinner you are. 
Paul is well aware of the battle between the spirit and the flesh. Someone on Facebook said it is a civil war happening. And he's marked by mourning in the sight of God. So the first area is mourning over sin. The second is mourning over remaining sin. The third area in which this mourning is displayed is mourning over the sin in church. Mourning over sin in church. You see, the word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia. And it means those who are called out. It means the called out ones. And although this word in the first century, in first century Palestine was also used for other gatherings, you know, of, of, of people who come together, it was also called ecclesia. But in referring to church, it came to mean those who are called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. It, it, it came to, 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 to speak of the moral fabric of the church. That the church was called to reflect her husband. Because, the, because God is holy, the church is called to be holy. And, and when I say church, I'm not talking about building. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about each and every one of us. This is our calling in the sight of God, to be holy. When, when you take a look at uh, the New Testament letters, you take your time to peruse through all the letters, you, 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 that were written to the, to, 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 the, to the various churches, you see that most of the letters refer to believers as what? Saints. Right? It refers to believers as saints. You see, saint is not a Roman Catholic word. It's not that word where, you know, they say Saint um, Mary or Saint. But a saint is a Christian. We should take that word back. The word saint means holy one. In other words, believers are called out to be holy. The word not only speaks about our identity, but it also speaks about our conduct as Christians. Do you understand that? But unfortunately, Unfortunately, that is not always the case, as, as scripture and experience tells us. We, we find at times the church plunged in sin, as this was the case also in, in, in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul addresses the issue in the church, the issue of sexual immorality in the church, where he says a man was sleeping with his father's wife. Instead of the church dealing with this sin, they ignored it. You know, they, they said, no, we don't want to judge. We, who are we to judge? You know, we, we, we're not perfect. That is the attitude today, right, of dealing with sin. No, I'm not going to judge. You know, who am I to judge? But listen to what Paul says to them in verse 2. He says, you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul, in essence, is saying, it is arrogant to tolerate sin that God hates. Are you more holy than God? 
Are you wiser than God that you think that sin should not be addressed? He says the presence of sin should rather cause you to mourn as the church. And so deal with it appropriately. Because when you mourn about sin, when you know that we sinned against God, you're going to deal with it appropriately. Brethren, whatever form the sin takes in church, it must be dealt with. It must grieve us as the body of believers. It should grieve us when sin plagues the church. It should grieve us when we are not walking according to the plan of the master. We should be like Jeremiah who looked at the state of Israel and wept. And he said, if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep and bitter, will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Sin has taken captive the Lord's flock. He says, therefore, I will weep bitterly for, 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 for the flock of the Lord. That should be our attitude in response to sin. See, the presence of sin in the church should grieve us because it renders the church useless in its witness to the world. We cannot be good witnesses to the world. How can we tell the world about a Jesus who liberates from sin when we ourselves are bound? How can we, we, we tell the world about a Jesus who frees when we are slaves? Sin closes the mouth of the church. It silences her testimony. It brings disrepute on the name of Christ. And it should make us mourn. It should cause us to mourn as the church, to cry out, to grieve, to, 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 to be sorrowful before God. Not only that, but the fourth area in which this mourning is displayed is mourning over the sin of the world. Mourning over the sin of the world. You see, we live in a society, we live in a world that is morally bankrupt where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. We, we read about brutal murders of women, of, of children, of, of men. We hear news about human trafficking we, and the growing presence of prostitution in our country, in our societies, in our communities. We see these things. We hear about corruption almost every week. We hear about the Gupta's email. You hear about ESCOM this, ESCOM that. We hear these things. The question is, how are we responding as Christians? What do we do when we see prostitution increasing? Do we sit around and complain like everyone? Do we sit around and just complain about the government and its corruptions and this one is not doing a good job this one is not doing a good job these people are sinners these people are sinners look at what they are doing do we sit around and do that as christians no we should mourn the sins of our country the sins of our society it should grieve us we should call out to God and say, Oh God, look at our country. Arise and increase the fame of your name. 
I should remind you that we do not just pray. We do not just pray and sit around, but we are to be ambassadors of Christ with a message of liberation. We are to be the church that is serious about the Great Commission. We are to be serious about making disciples. We, we cannot sit around comfortable while the world is languishing without Christ. Evangelism is a responsibility of every single Christian. Tell me, if evangelism was a crime, think about it this way. If evangelism was a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Will the police find enough evidence to convict you if it was a crime? Or would you go scot-free and say, I know this one does not have a crime. She, we, we, we should not get in the habit of telling the world what's wrong with it if we are not ready to present them with a solution. When Nehemiah had the report about the state of his nation, he wept and mourned for days and, and continued in fasting and prayer before the God of heaven. It's about time that we weep for our country. We weep for the world we live in. So we mourn over sin. We, we mourn over remaining sin. We mourn over the sin that plagues the church and over the sin of the world. And, and to these ones who mourn, Jesus makes a promise. And takes us to our second point and last point. I'm just going to be brief here. The promise to those who mourn. The promise to those who mourn. You see, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn shall be comforted. That is why they are blessed. The blessing is being comforted. This comfort is displayed in various ways, and let me just highlight uh, just, just uh, two. In the gospel promise to those who call on the name of the Lord. In the gospel promise to those who call on the name of the Lord. You see, those who hear the gospel and are pierced in their hearts and see the condition of their hearts and mourn for the mercy of God are promised in Romans chapter 10 verse 13 saying everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus again in John chapter uh, 6 verse 37, he, he makes a promise saying whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The comfort of the gospel is the forgiveness of sins. David knew this comfort very well. After sinning against God and repenting of his sin, he experienced the joy of God's forgiveness. And he sings joyfully in Psalm 32, verse 1 to 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts 
no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That very same word, when you look at it from the Septuagint, the translation of the, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is the very same word, makarius, the Greek word makarius, the one who is happy, the one who is overjoyed. There is joy in the forgiveness that God's, God bestows on those who mourn. The, 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 the second area in which uh, this uh, comfort is displayed is in the reality of heaven. The reality of heaven. It is true that Jesus Christ is coming back. And he will wipe every tear from every eye. Jesus Christ will come to bring justice to those who persecuted his church. We can find comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ will come to fetch his church. The reality of heaven, being with the Lord forever. There's nothing greater than that. Matthew Henry says this. He says, The happiness of heaven consists in being perfectly and eternally comforted and in the wiping away of all tears from their eyes. It is the joy of our Lord, a fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore which will be doubly sweet to those who have been prepared for them by this godly sorrow. Heaven will be a heaven indeed to those who go mourning uh, here, from here on. It will be a harvest of joy, the return of a seed time of tears, a mountain of joy to which our way lies through the veil of tears. The Lord will come to get his church. The Lord will come to comfort us once and for all. I can't wait to walk in the streets of gold, but most importantly, I can't wait to see him face to face. Even if there was no streets of gold, if the Lord is there, heaven is enough. I want us to, to remember, as, even as we close, that this promise of comfort is made to those who truly mourn. Jesus said, they, and they only, shall be comforted. You, you cannot find comfort if you keep holding on to sin, if you keep embracing your sin. Uh, Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says, whoever conceals, whoever hides, whoever covers his, his transgressions will not prosper. But who, he who confesses and forsakes them all will obtain mercy. See, it is important that we pray for, for hearts that are sensitive to sin. Hearts that are not comfortable when we sin. 
hearts that run quickly without hesitation to God for mercy and hearts that respond to his word with humility. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, gracious God and Savior, thank you for the promise in your word of comfort that when we come to you, Lord, mourning, you do not look away, but you meet us at the point of need with your comfort. I pray, O oh God, that this word will pierce our hearts, that this word will continue, O oh God, to, to remind us of your promises, of your faithfulness, of what you are able to do in our lives. Continue, O oh God, to work in each and every one of us and bring us to yourself. Continue to glorify your name in our lives according to your grace and according to your mercies. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.